Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Before we begin, a content warning. This episode discusses violence against women, including sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. For the better part of the last decade, science fiction finally evolved from a niche genre into a mainstream staple. And while many people are familiar with so-called fathers and grandfathers of genre, the women who have been instrumental in creating and shaping the nerdverse have largely gone unrecognized. Until today. I'm Cher Martinetti, and this is Sci-Fi Fangirl's Forgotten Women of Genre, a podcast where we tell the stories of the women who helped some of the most famous fantasy worlds become a reality. When we talk about genre, we're not just talking about science fiction and fantasy. There are other realms the term genre represents. Genre also includes horror, and women have had a presence in that since its inception. Today, we're going to take you down a lesser-known path of horror history to tell you about Paula Maxa, once referred to as the most assassinated woman in the world. But first, we're going to set the stage, so to speak. It was in Paris, circa 1897, when Oscar Meranier decided to buy a little theater in the middle of a not-so-great neighborhood. And the Grand Ginole was officially born. Prior to entering the theater business, Meranier had worked as a police officer, serving as a guard for prisoners in the hours before they were to be executed by hanging. Maybe it was that job that inspired him to tell the stories of people who were often shunned by society. A style referred to as naturalistic, which was most often used to criticize social injustices of the current time period. But only a year later, in 1898, the Grand Ginole would have a new ownership in Max Moray, who worked to turn the theater into a horror house. Moray teamed up with a playwright, André Delord, whose plays didn't include the popular trends of the era, like ghosts and werewolves. Instead, Delord's horrifying works revolved around the condition of the human mind. He wrote with his therapist, Alfred Bennett. An on-site doctor was allegedly hired to treat audience members who fainted during performances. But that's probably just a myth used to drum up more publicity. After Murray's retirement in 1914, the theater changed hands once again to Camille Chawazi, who would go on to hire Paula Maxa. Maxa was born in Paris in 1898, the same year that the Grand Ginole became a purveyor of horror theater. According to her short memoir, The Maddest Woman in the World, Maxa's mother was a schoolteacher and a very caring parent who gave Maxa piano lessons and tutored her in multiple languages. As a child, Maxa was said to have a morbid fascination with death. And as she grew up, her life would be marked by violence. 
Her very first boyfriend attempted to kill her. A traumatic experience Maxa would draw on as fuel for her performances. But before she became a renowned horror actress, Maxa was a fan. She found her way to the Ginol and was fascinated by the macabre stories that were playing out on stage. However, her marriage to a French count at the age of 16 eventually put a damper on those plans. At least right up until she left him to go out to become an actress. Maxa was hired to perform at the Grand Ginole in 1917, where she would continue working until the late 1920s. Although she returned for the occasional performance here and there into the early 1930s. Her roles garnered notice and attention because of their particularly gruesome subject matter. Max's characters were usually assaulted or killed on stage, most often in a very violent way. She was dubbed the Princess of Blood, or the most assassinated woman in the world, inspired by the sheer number of times she performed death scenes night after night after night. According to Maxa, the parts she was given had a severe effect on her mental and emotional health, and often attracted more violent and obsessive men to her as a result. But at the time, she said she thrived under the attention and enjoyed the struggle of her work, enthusiastically throwing herself into each performance. Indeed, Max's deaths became notorious for their violence, which offered the same kind of spectacle that we see in horror movies today. Some of her most memorable performances included being eaten alive by a puma, stabbed by an invisible knife, and crushed by a steamroller. She performed an estimated 3,000 scenes where she was subjected to an imitation of sexual assault. But for the most part, her male co-stars experienced the same degree of violence she did. Both men and women suffered horribly grisly fates on stage at the Grand Ginole, and both men and women also played villains responsible for inflicting the pretend torture so intensely brought to life every single night. And the place stage at the Grand Ginole were definitely not for the faint of heart. In order to give the actors even more believability, props were created that added to the levels of gore and violence depicted. Early versions of special effects like fake knives, blood squibs, and pumps that would run through clothing to mimic arterial spray, they helped to craft the illusion of death. Usually, the plays were so short that five or six could be staged in a single night, usually with comedies interspersed in between to provide the audience with some relief. Even so, it wasn't uncommon for some people to become so overwhelmed and overheated that they would faint. It's no exaggeration to say that Maxa may have technically been the very first scream queen of her generation, but that role likely cut her career short. When she finally stepped down from the theater, it was in part because all her screaming had permanently damaged her vocal cords. But she was also reportedly ousted by the theater's then final director, Jack Juvoon, for stealing the spotlight. Whether her decision to leave the Grand Ginole was a mutual one or made after serious pressure is ultimately unclear. After Maxa retired from being a stage actress, the details of her life are a bit murky. In 1933, she became the director of a nearby theater in Pigalle. 
but it's unknown how long her career lasted or what sort of plays were performed. By the time World War II came around, interest in the Grand Genoa began to wane. The looming prospect of violence in the real world turned many potential theatergoers off. After all, nothing could even compete with the brutality of the war. With its audience dwindling, the Grand Genoa was forced to collapse under its own excesses. But the theater was a pioneer in horror, with its over-the-top violence and graphic gory tales. There's a clear comparison that can be drawn between those plays and the slasher movies that would later dominate the movie landscape, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Friday the 13th. Other movies like Nightmare on Elm Street embrace aspects of the horror that the Grand Genoa emphasized, especially when it came to the terrors of the mind. When actors talk about horror, they often stress how difficult it is. But at least for them, once the project is shot and wrapped, it's all over. Paula Maxa had to do the same thing every night, on stage, live, in front of an audience, hundreds and hundreds of times, so much so that she literally gave her voice up to it. Ultimately, Maxa's legacy is a testament to how committed she was as a performer and what an impact she had as a veritable horror legend. Even today, people are still staging Grand Junot-themed plays in the classic tradition, preserving the style that has been passed down since the 19th century. Max's career may have been forged in blood and terror, but she paved the way for every female horror lead that followed, and she lives on in every single blood-curdling scream on film and stage alike. Forgotten Woman of Genre is a production of Sci-Fi Fangirls. Today's episode was written by Carly Lane and read by Cher Martinetti. You can find the script of this episode and so much more at scififangirls.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at scififangirls. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 